not all data points are actually created equally. And this is one thing many analysts, buyers agents, course creators, economists get wrong because they have this problem of focusing in on one data point. And with the one data point, they use it for its good or they use it for the against and they continually get it wrong in the interpretation. And today I'm gonna to show you classic examples of why you shouldn't rely on it and how data isn't created equally and how two data points specifically that sound, look, feel really weak on a macro level have still seen opposite results. This will teach you a little bit more about property investing to not fall to the trap of oversimplifying market analysis and also not fall to the trap of thinking one bad thing that someone in a decent position of influence politics, news, media, professionals, whatever you look at says, and then all of a sudden you stick onto that point. And this is a key thing to really help you separate. So in this episode, I'm going to open up on this weak macro data point. I've got my notes here and you'll find this of interest. And if you stay till the end, you can actually get given a few areas specifically that I say, even with these weak points performed well, and specific areas with the data points that even with weak data points on the macro level, actually did not perform well. Just to show you how confusing the world of property is, but in understanding the confusion, you will be able to demystify, remove the confusion, and actually figure out what to look at instead, right? And if you aren't aware of some of the things of what to look at and how we've actually proven with the correct data analysis, you can get market analysis correct, be in the right cities at the right time, you can actually go back to episodes to learn more about this in particular, a few episodes ago, I'd gone into my analysis of investing in Australia and really looking at all the 15,000 suburbs and what I'd learned. Now, that particular episode is on our YouTube channel. And so if you jump on our YouTube channel, give it a like, give it a subscribe. It's the Investikit YouTube channel. And for those who are new to this, I-N-V-E-S-T-O-R-K-I-T, Investikit. And uh, this is where you'll be able to find out everything from trend analysis to find which data points actually make a difference. In this case, though, we're going to show you some macro data points. And the first one is the classic interest rates. When you've been looking at interest rates, the first thing many have been telling you is high interest rates, property prices declining, everything's going to shock everyone, and bam, everything's going to be impacted. Interest rates climbed in 22, climbed in 23, and they did not fall back yet. They are still high and have been increasing. With these interest rates, even with inflation, whilst coming down, still being pretty high, the main thing you're recognizing is that property prices are actually increasing in many areas. Some at very fast rates, double digit growth, uh, some at pretty good rates and some recovering up their losses as if interest rates never increased at all. In fact, if you take the trend analysis charts of interest rates over the long-term period and pair them up with price growth, there is just not this clear line that suggests interest rates increasing equals price growth decreasing or prices decreasing. That just doesn't happen. So when looking at that, it's a clear example to not be spooked by the dynamics of interest rates and what that one indicator does. No doubt you can, you know, put the pieces together and think it makes a clear impact. For example, number one, interest rates impact borrowing capacities. People take out finance to borrow for their homes. Therefore, they can borrow less. Therefore, those who can borrow less can buy less and those who can buy less buy less. And then as a result of borrowing to buy less and then needing to buy less, prices go down. Seems pretty logical, but you're forgetting all the different dynamics. How many houses are there for the sale whilst people can buy less? 
are the top brackets of those who can buy less now activating the next bracket and what happens in the next bracket after that? Are there cities where people's income dynamics to the repayments aren't as impacted as other cities? Are there other cities where rental pressure is so high that it's making people realize that, no, they want to be on the buy side? Is there other cities that whilst the cost of lending is harder and more costly in the repayments, job prospects are increasing so much more that wages are improving, confidence is improving, there's a lot happening. So the main thing is you cannot use that one indicator, such as interest rates, because you would have been proven wrong time and time again. Now, the next indicator is pretty cool. So this is one of my favorite ones. Everyone seems to think that building approvals alone must mean prices do not rise. It's silly because building approvals alone will not shift prices alone. There are so many dynamics. If building approvals are high, what if they're high but not being constructed all at the same time? Because approvals does not mean construction. What happens if they're high, they're constructed all at the same time, but as they're being released to the market, they're released in slight stage variations. So it's not completely the same time, but getting there and each stage is costlier. What happens if building approvals are high and the cost per square meter is increasing massively and the square meterage drops and the area is actually making land appreciate because they're paying more for less of it? There's too many dynamics at play. What if the building approvals are high, but the people coming in is also high and therefore the dynamics of the supply is actually being met by relevant demand? And what if building approvals are high because there's a strong amount of job creation in the area and not only are the people matching it gonna come there, but people are gonna earn more and more over time. There's gonna be more amenities, more other things. And yes, whilst the supply response to an extent, there's enough demand that meets it. There's too many uncontrollables here that you cannot get right with just building approvals. This is a key thing that many people make the mistake of. Because again, I'll give you just one more, just to give it to you. What if building approvals were there, but maybe they were there in a premium suburb and the types of builds coming into those suburbs continually become more and more premium, elevating the status of the suburb, increasing dollar per square meters in that area, and they're not just affordable cookie cutter builds for every person the same way. You can go to Sydney for many examples as this. At the same time, Box Hill might be releasing a whole bunch of land and properties. Talawong might be doing the same. And at the same time, Kellyville might be doing the same. Both in the northwest of Sydney, Pitt Town doing the same in the northwest of Sydney. But the money, the dollar per square meter rates, the types of dwellings, the types of prices, the types of land size being built off the back of those approvals, game changes apart, prices apart. What's that doing? The Ponds versus Schofields, the Ponds versus Parkley. The list goes on. And so there are so many micro factors input that you cannot just rely on it. So what is the point of saying, well, building approvals are bad? Well, building approvals are what we call a control mechanism, meaning that you're controlling the level of risk because of the lack of understanding of all those points, because of the lack of your understanding in the dynamics that are in all those points. And that is okay. For example, we use building approvals for a region, if a smaller region, and for suburbs and aspects of the sub-region, if a major city. So when I'm looking at building approvals, I'm not going to just deny a suburb in a city just because building approvals are higher. It just doesn't make sense. I'm going to look at it and go, okay, is this a 10-minute city where people are in a smaller regional center and they can commute to all parts of the city within 10, 15 minutes? Because if that's the case, just because there's a few more building approvals here, there are still going to be properties that people take into account in decision of the whole suburb. So I'm rather looking at the construction pipeline of the whole city, not just the suburb. 
And because if the city's pipeline is low and one suburb's high, it does not mean that suburb will suddenly decline in price or not grow. Because if the overall city's pipeline is small and it's a 15, 10 minute city, everyone has aspects of the whole city in their stock choices as they're searching. It's not like it's completely a different isolated area where people will make choices in other areas all the time. It doesn't make sense like that. And so the main thing here when trying to understand it is going, if you want to apply a hard rule of data, to just isolate yourself from certain areas, you can do that. It'll increase your time to search. You'll increase the regions that you have to zone in on or decrease the regions that you have to zone in on. And this will then mean that you can make a choice with clear protection. But in the event that you've got an area that you like, do not feel like all the other aspects are ticking the box and you must decline this area because of building approvals. It's lousy. I've seen so much data on the flip side that shows that it is not clear, both from an uh, back-tested, uh, applying machine learning to look at correlation analysis. And we cannot find the clear isolated building approvals only to say that all prices decline due to high approvals in areas. It just doesn't happen. So we're going to go through some examples, like I said, in the first example here on the good side, let's take into account the city of Playford. So Playford is a region in Adelaide, an affordable region where it's in the Northeast and this region of Playford has a decent building approval pipeline. So looking at it here, Greater Adelaide's building approval pipeline is about 2.3%, so pretty standard. And this is taking the last 15 months of building approvals, totaling them together and dividing it as a proportion of the current total addresses in Adelaide. And then if we do the same just for Playford, instead of 2.3%, which is what you see in Adelaide, it is 8.1%. You'd look at that and go, oh, don't go to Playford. It's crazy. Don't go there. High building approvals, high supply, high land, you're not going to have growth. Well, I beg to differ because the 10-year price trend in Adelaide for Greater Adelaide is 70.9%. In Greater Playford, it's 70.6%. They grew the same. Greater Adelaide grew the same as Playford. You're missing something here. Playford's building approvals alone could not be the difference maker to see it decline. Now let's have a look at the next part. Five-year building analysis trend, 2.3% for Greater Adelaide, pretty consistent, and then 4.6% for Playford, still way above it, way above the supply threshold. Ten-year rental analysis, funnily enough, with more building approvals, Playford grew more than Greater Adelaide, 64% rent growth over 10 years and 54.4% for Greater Adelaide, so it's above the average. Then we've got five-year price trends. In the last five years, the Playford region performed 64%, whereas Greater Adelaide, 46.7%. And there was a higher last five-year building approval as well. Five-year rental trends, Playford at 55.4%, with Adelaide at 41.9%. And here's the kicker for all those who hate their building approvals. Vacancy rates at 0.4% in line with the Greater Adelaide region and 12-month sales price. So Greater Adelaide grew 8.9%, really healthy during this time, but Playford grew 18.5% over the last 12 months. That teaches you that you cannot use a macro and weak data point of building approvals in isolation to suddenly say that just because of that, building approvals are high, prices in Playford will not perform and will not be as good because look at this map. I'm showing you a cool color-coded map or I'm showing you a city or I can see this land. I can see building approvals. I'm deep diving it or I'm going to uh, get you to show me a suburb then I'm going to say, no, don't go there because of building approvals. It's a risk management tool to help reduce the options, to make you feel like there's a culling down process, but it's not a guaranteed tool to help avoid price decline or 
help you see areas of greater growth. It just doesn't do that in isolation because they gave you so many reasons as to why building approvals can have so many flow on effects that are just unknown. So it's a risk measurement tool because it's an unknown. And naturally, as a researcher, you want the greatest approved data that is known to reduce the amount of mistakes one can make. But in isolation, it isn't a mistake. It's only a mistake if that and many other data points are weak together. So that's Playford, that's Adelaide. And I just want to use these opposite examples to show you to not fall to the trap of feeling like one data point makes you suddenly smarter or makes you feel like you can avoid a region and think that you're making a, a great decision. Um, the key here is, is that it's a data point to understand, but if you've got 10 boxes in front of you and all 10 are ticked and you found an area, go for it. But if you've got 10 boxes in front of you, nine are ticked and building approvals isn't, it's still likely that the city will do well and therefore that region will do well and that ninth to the 10th gap, investigate it deeper. What if it's a whole bunch of affordable home buying going out to buy it for homes to live in? So what happens if the releases are all perfectly staged? I gave you all these reasons, rewind back and you'll hear all the multitude of reasons why we just don't know. Meaning we, as in everyone, every buyer will not perfectly know unless they live, breathe the air, understand every transaction, speak to every agent, know exactly what's happening, see the demand in life, see the lines at the queue for land releases, see if it's all matching together, see if they're staging releasing it, see if they're increasing the dollar per square meter, see if they're staging it and charging more every time and creating FOMO and scarcity. All these things could be happening, but we just can't see that at the spreadsheet. So what you do is you just cancel it out. That's helpful if you want to isolate metrics to then help you just get nailed on a few. But if you want to truly understand and see, does this impact it in isolation? It just doesn't. I'll give you more examples. We're going to go over to Perth, which, as you know, is a region seeing a lot of growth in recent times. So Greater Perth over the last 12 months, obviously, this is domain data. Not every data set's the same. 5.6% uh, growth. In my opinion, it's done more than that. Uh, but you can see Serpentine Jaredale, SA3, which is a region of many suburbs within it, grew 10.8%, although it had double almost the building approvals, more than double of what Perth did. So Perth's greater approval pipeline for the last 15 months is 2.1% of building approvals against current stock. Five-year pipeline is 2.6%, whereas the Serpentine region of SA3, Serpentine Jaredale, had 5% for the last 12, uh, 15 months and 5% again for the last five years. Yet its price trends on 10-year price were higher, five-year price were higher, 12-month price were higher, and vacancy rates much the same in line with Perth. It grew higher than all those metrics than Perth did in terms of Greater Perth, yet it actually had double, if not more than double, of building approvals percentage-wise. So this is an interesting thing to really review and just realize that you cannot keep isolating metrics and think that it's made a better analysis. If the rest of the things are happening in this region and this building approval metric is standing in the way, it will not stand in the way. It will be toppled over by all the other pressure of the region pushing through. Remember, if developers are sitting there, people are constructing properties and they're going, wait, people are fighting over rentals. People are buying quicker. There's nothing else available for sale established. It's low pipeline. Nothing else available for rent. Do you think they're just going to sit there and sell their plots and things for cheap? They're going to sell it for more. And that is clearly what's happening because the city's going through that pressure-changing environment. That region's going through a pressure-changing environment. So you can't isolate building approvals on its own and say that this is a bad 
impact. You just got to take into a factor as one of the many 10, 15, 20 points. Now let's flip it. Let's go, hey, Arch, what about the bad stuff? Well, this is where it's showing high building approvals and it didn't do good. Just to show you, you can take data points and shove them in both directions. And this is why singular data points are wrong because I can show you the for, I can show you the against. I, it takes me back and I may have mentioned this before, but I did my MBA and when I did my MBA, I used the same case study in a company on two different assignments, one with a for opinion, one with an against opinion, but I just had to apply the theory to both. Pass, pass, not by flying colors, by the way, but I passed both, did all right, got the MBA, and it just made me realize that data goes in both directions. As long as you can explain it with theory, provide examples, and link it back and structure it in a well-written format, they were going to pass it. And so it made me realize that the same company could have two different directional changes and trends, as long as there's theory to back why it's showing it, it's clear. So you should look at this the same way. The theory of building approvals, I showed you examples of why it could still go up and why it could go down. The developer could not sell the stock, therefore they're not pricing it higher. They had to complete it. Otherwise, they'd be stuck longer with their interest bills. There's not much demand from owner-occupiers and everyone's shoving them down on price from investors. They need to offer more rebates. They did suddenly increase the square meterage of each lot because council's becoming tough and then they maybe can't cut it up as many and the dollar per square meter stays in line with the rest of the suburb. Not too heavily pressurized. There could be uh, multiple developers putting pressure on each other to actually force the release of it, force the price cutting because some others were more desperate than others. Who knows? But again... This is the key to show you that on the opposite, you can see the same. So now three high regions, we might cover two, we'll see how we go, but two or three. I've got one in front of me here, which is Rouse Hill, McGrath Hill versus Greater Sydney. So Rouse Hill had a whopping 11.8% 15-month building approval pipeline versus Sydney's 1.7%. This is houses, by the way. And five-year Rouse Hall was 15.7% versus 2.1% of Sydney, so higher on both. And on this, Sydney's price trends were 110% over 10 years. Rouse Hall was about 99. So not a crazy difference, but still Sydney outperformed. Rental performance in Sydney was also higher than Rouse Hill. Five-year performance for sales and rents was higher in Sydney than Rouse Hill. Vacancy rates were 2% in Rouse Hill, 0.9% for Sydney. Rental growth in the last 12 months, higher for Greater Sydney versus Rouse Hill. And then the 12-month price trend declined more in Rouse Hill than it did in Sydney. So what this shows you is that that Rouse Hill region had the wrath of building approvals and the impact of it and went in another way in comparison to Sydney. So it's a classic example of the same data point being bad on both sides, but it did better in one and did better in the other. This is the big learning here. Don't make the immediate assumption that that data point of building approvals is your answer for the for or the against. You can use it as a risk management tool to avoid something, but if you know the dynamics beyond that, you can still achieve great results and still see higher building approval rates. It's just in Rouse Hill's case, there was more and more you need to unpack to understand why it didn't. So that's the key when analyzing locations. And just to leave you with one more, let's go to the Ormeo Oxenford region. Now, in the last five years, it had 4.9% building approvals. And this region is known for a few locations like Coomera and a few other nearby, Pimpama. We had 2.1% in comparison for the last five years of building approvals for Gold Coast versus Oxenford Ormeo for 4.9. I could be botching that name up as well. Price growth was still in the five-year analysis at 56%, so a healthy number. 
for the Oxenford, but not as high as the 63% for the Gold Coast average. Rental kept up with each other, and 12-month price growth actually was also fairly similar. Vacancy rates low. So 12-month price growth similar, but is that five-year trend analysis that was different, because obviously during that five-year period, the Ormi Oxenford building approvals was double to that of what Gold Coast was. So it's interesting just to show you the same metric of building approval being thrown in multiple locations and producing different results. So the biggest learning there is using interest rates and using building approvals do not isolate them to locations across the country in the same way, thinking everything everywhere is impacted the same. And take a holistic view of indicators and think of them both from the logic side, which is non-data, just owner-occupied thinking, breaking it down, because that is the majority of buyers and people just don't think that. Break it down to the micro understanding on the ground to see what's happening locally. And then also look at the data and challenge it in many other ways, because if there's more trends on the four, that might push the against out the way, like you saw in Playford, like you saw in Perth. But in Sydney, we saw it impacted even more in the negative. In Gold Coast, we saw the five-year average of that area impact more against the five-year average of performance in Gold Coast. So I hope this helps you in really making sure your data analysis and interpretation goes to the next level. And you can do two things following this. One, never fall to the trap of an isolated views of data point created opinions. And number two is use that to tell a further picture. Challenge yourself and look at the for and look at the against. Look at both cities with both examples and try and figure out what else is happening to unpack that. Think both logically from an owner-occupier's minds to be very basic in thought because the truth is that's the majority of buyers. The majority of buyers aren't data-loving, spreadsheet, MBA-holding, you know, spreadsheet-loving, um, podcast-listening, YouTube-watching, buyers-agency-owning people or fans or clients. They're just not. We are the minority. We're just trying to make the majority of the good decisions. And so the main thing here is that when you isolate the data, look at them both, then look at them holistically, then look at the for, then look at the against. This will help you get better at your interpretation and not fall to silly opinions that isolate them and come up with thoughts and opinions, come up with the data, bring down the facts, and look at them both ways. Check out more like this, subscribe, like. Thank you for all your support on episodes like this on the Investigate podcast. Jump on our YouTube channel if you want more like this. And I'm keen as to just keep going through the data, breaking down two sides of it, making sure you know the real from the false, the truth from the false, I mean, not the real. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll break that down in more and more in future episodes and check this out from there.